All right, good morning, Redemption Church. It is good to be with you all. I want to echo what Scott already said. It is really good to be back in the space, to see you all in here, to be reminded uh, that we knew God loved us in 2020. We knew he was going to be faithful no matter what he did in that year, and seeing now the gift that we have of being back in this space together, where hopefully more of our family can join us with some more safety and being spread out. And again, I just want to thank those of you who know who you are, because you have labored hard to make this happen, you've sacrificed a lot, so uh, we are only here because of the good gift that you guys are to our church family, to all of us that are able to gather here in this space. So thank you guys very much for that. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. Today we're going to be uh, continuing in Matthew 3. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to be looking specifically at Matthew 3, verses 7 through 12. And last week in our uh, sermon series, Scott introduced us to this character, John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. John, the guy who wasn't actually a Baptist. He was the guy who did baptizing. Okay? He came out of the wilderness. He was dressed in all kinds of weird clothes. He was eating honey and locusts. And he came with a very provocative message. The kingdom of God is here. It's been brought near. And if you're like me, John the Baptist is always like an enigma. Like, why did this guy come into the story? Like, what piece does John play? Why did Jesus need this crazy-looking guy to come ahead of him? And Scott explained to us that the Old Testament prophesied Elijah would come before the Messiah. He would come declaring the way before the Messiah and so John is that Elijah figure, coming and preparing the way for Jesus. But what was John's message? What did John come telling people? That you need to say you're sorry for your sins to God and pray a prayer and accept Jesus in your heart? Nope, that's not what John came declaring. If you are newer here, we don't believe that's actually what the point of Christianity is. We do want to pray. We do want to follow Jesus, but the whole point of why John came, the whole point of why we are following Jesus is because his kingdom has been brought near. His kingdom is here through Jesus. And so John came saying, this kingdom of salvation is here. But for today, I want us to ask, and we're going to look at this in our passage, this kingdom of salvation is here, but what are we saved from? Saved from what? A kingdom of salvation from what? We all like the idea of being saved. If you're like me, you love movies and stories of people being saved. But this kingdom John is preaching isn't just salvation. Because we're going to see today, it's also a kingdom that brings judgment. Today we're going to look at Matthew 3 and realize that the kingdom is about being saved, but we want to ask from what? And... How do we know if we're really saved? How do we really know if we really are in this kingdom or not? That's what we're going to be looking at today. Today, in many ways, we're looking at a chilling question that John is going to ask us. He's going to ask us, do you want to repent and follow God? Or do you just want to escape judgment? Today, we'll see that the reality of the kingdom is good news but it's only good news if we understand judgment. 
Let's go to Matthew 3. It's Matthew 3. I'm going to read verses 7 through 13, through 12. So again, remember the scene is John is at the river and he's baptizing. Starting in verse 7. But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think to say, you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. As we go to jump into this, Father, we do pray uh, that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would understand what this text of Scripture is saying to us. Father, we confess in our hearts that things like judgment, things like wrath, are concepts that we bristle at, concepts that we don't want to understand. But I do pray, Jesus, right now that by the Spirit we would realize that there is no good news unless wrath and judgment is real. So Jesus, help us to have open hearts that we would see you as the one who has come for us. I also just ask for your help, even thank you for the help you've given me this week in study and in a lot of hard work trying to figure out how to preach a hard text of scripture. So I thank you for how you have helped me and we thank you because we know you are the one who makes the word clear for us. We pray this in confidence because of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to jump into this passage, and we're going to look at what John is saying. And I've just got three big questions that we want to address as we work through this text. And here's the three questions. Saved from what? Why do you want to be saved? How do you know if you're saved? Saved from what? Why do we want to be saved, and how do we know if we're saved? So before we dive into those, let's just again paint a little context of what's actually going on in this passage. Remember, we're jumping into this scene that's already happening of John by the river baptizing people. And remember, if you look at verse 6, these people were coming to him to be baptized, and what does it say? They were repenting. They were confessing their sins as they came into the waters of baptism. And what's interesting is baptism here is really, really important because where is John baptizing? He's baptizing in the Jordan River. And if you remember in the Old Testament story, as God's people were coming to the promised land, where did they have to pass through to get into the promised land? They had to cross the Jordan River to get into the new land, to get through the waters to then step into God's promise. And so now John is here calling the people of Israel back to the waters and saying, repent, 
because we are now stepping into the real promised land of what God is going to bring. He's saying confess because God's arrival is here. And then what does John do? He looks up from the water and he sees these Pharisees and Sadducees coming. And he calls them wily serpents. He calls them vipers and his blood is broiling. He calls these guys out because he knew they only cared about the externals. They were not truly coming to the water looking for baptism. That's why John says, you just want to escape wrath. You don't really want to repent and enter the kingdom. And so this passage is going to be hard because it confronts our feeble views of what we think God is like. It's hard because it confronts us because we often are just like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We just want a God who will line up with what we think is important. We want a God who will line up with our values, our priorities, not a God who actually exposes us for who we really are. We want Jesus in our own image, Jesus who is like us. And so today, we want to look at this passage and consider these three questions that I mentioned to you. And what I want to show you is that these are the questions John is wanting to draw out from this dialogue with the Pharisees, and that John was obviously saying in front of the listening crowds as well. So let's look at this first question. Saved from what, though? We have this kingdom of salvation, but what are we saved from? Well, so as we've seen in Matthew's gospel so far, as we've been hearing all these prophecies that are being fulfilled with Jesus' arrival, we've seen this kingdom is one of salvation. As Matthew shows us that Jesus, he actually is the one the prophets have said would come. He is the one fulfilling God's covenants, his promises to save and redeem his people. But if the heart of the gospel is salvation and restoration, what are we saved from? Look at verse 7. John says we are saved from the wrath to come. The good news of the gospel centers on the fact that Jesus saves, but what does he save from? From future judgment for sin? Absolutely. Does Jesus save us from hell? From being eternally separated from God? Absolutely he does. This is why John, at the end of the text, alludes to this graphic imagery of a farmer sifting out the wheat and the chaff. This imagery of a farmer taking an axe to the root of a tree to remove it. This is very graphic imagery, and we're gonna look at this at the end, because judgment is real. That's why he's using this vivid imagery. But I believe at the heart of this passage, John is confronting the Pharisees and the listening crowds by telling them, you guys need to be saved from yourself. You need to ultimately be saved from yourselves, because the Pharisees and Sadducees were people who thought their biggest problems were outside of them. Our biggest problems in lives, in our lives, are the people and the things outside of us. They were religious people who prided themselves on coming from a good family. They came from Abraham, so of course they would be in the kingdom. They avoided outward sins. They did all the all of the things. They did all of the good stuff. They saw themselves as separate from everybody else because they had all the right externals in place. 
then they made sure that not only did they look good, but that everybody else knew that they were the ones who looked good. But John sees right through that. John's confronting what we think the kingdom is for. Do we want Jesus just because he delivers what we think we need? Do we want Jesus because we know how bad and jacked up we actually are? Do we need Jesus because our own self-salvation efforts have failed us? So what do we need to be saved from? Yes, wrath and judgment, but also from our own self-sufficiency. Friends, do you realize this morning that you need to be saved from yourself? Did you hear this passage read and kind of like, stupid Pharisees, John saw right through you guys. Friends, that's us. That's us in the story. What if I told you that your biggest problem in life isn't your spouse? Your biggest problem in life isn't your kids. Your biggest problem in life isn't COVID. The biggest problem in your life isn't politicians. And the way our country is headed, the biggest problem in your life is your own unbelief, your own self-salvation efforts. And this is what John is getting at. He's showing us that all of our presumptions about the kingdom are wrong. Jesus isn't coming to just take away our problems. He is coming to liberate us from our unbelief. He is coming to liberate us from all of the ways that we try to save and preserve ourselves. He's coming to save us from the pride of thinking, well, I grew up in a Christian home, so I'm good, right? I prayed a prayer when I was eight, so I'm good, right? I'm in. I've always gone to church. I've never, I've never done anything that bad. Come on, right? I'm not sleeping around or getting drunk like other people, right? I've been sexually pure. I've never done blank. What is that for you? What do you think it is that sets you apart because of what you have or have not done? Friends, do you see that that's the exact same thing as saying, oh, Abraham's our father, so I must be in the kingdom, right? I want to specifically ask the kids and teens here. Kids and teens, on what basis do you think you're a Christian? Teens, think about that. Why are you a Christian? Why do you think that you're in the kingdom? Because, well, all my family believes. I've never done anything that bad. I'm not too rebellious. I remember growing up thinking like, yeah, I mean, I like read my Bible all the time. I've never missed church. I always filled out my Sunday school sheets. I always memorized the verses. I've, I'm good, right? Kids and teens, are you in the kingdom just because you prayed a prayer back in the day and check, you're good? came forward for an altar call? I'm not minimizing that. But I'm saying if that is the basis for you thinking you're in the kingdom, you might need to reevaluate that. And all of us, we might need to reevaluate that. On what basis are we thinking that we are in the kingdom? Because we've checked the box or because we're actually trying to follow Jesus by faith, which we're going to get to in a minute. So what I want us to see is that in many ways, we might be just like the Pharisees. I'm generous with my money. I've never done anything that bad. 
Friends, this is our modern-day Southern Christianity that is exactly like the Pharisees and Sadducees. And John calls them out. He calls them out on their belief that the kingdom of God was not just about being saved from all the external bad stuff out there, but rather it was their own sin and pride and self-salvation that was separating them from God's kingdom because John knew that the Pharisees' true allegiance was to themselves and not actually to God and his kingdom. So what in your life do you think your safety, your true salvation is found in? If you have a piece of paper, write that down. Think about that. And likewise, tucked right within this is the question then, well, why do you want to be saved? So that's a good question too. Why do you want to be saved? John looks at the Pharisees and Sadducees and says, who warned you to escape the wrath to come? And several commentators think that this shows that the Pharisees didn't actually want to repent. They didn't want to actually repent to be saved and be brought into the kingdom. They didn't actually want to change their lives. They didn't actually want to follow God in the way he was calling. Their desire was just escaping punishment. Their desire was not actually wanting to turn and follow God. They just didn't want to experience any kind of wrath or judgment. And notice this is completely contrasted with the crowds in verse 6 who are coming to the water and who are confessing and repenting. So we, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, are confronted with this question. Why do you want to be saved? Is it because you know you have no other hope? Is it because you realize that you need to be saved from yourself? Or is it just because you want to avoid wrath and judgment? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about wrath and judgment. We often just don't even want to talk about that. In our day and age a very secularized society, the thought of a God of wrath and judgment, it's like, come on, man. We're not back in, like, the Renaissance era anymore, all these paintings of judgment and stuff. Like, come on, we don't really believe that stuff. We often shy away from that because we think, well, if God is love, we all like that. We all want a God who loves us. But obviously, a God of wrath, that Old Testament God who, like, killed people and stuff? No, come on, we don't believe in that. No. To truly love something means you will be violently opposed to anything that threatens the object of your love. Parents, you know this. Your love for your kids might even drive you to act in violent extremes against something that's threatening your child. Why would the God of the universe be any different? As sin and evil is so opposing his love that he will do violence and put judgment and wrath towards that which is opposed to his love and goodness. The, and just so you know, the Bible regularly is talking about how God's wrath is pointed at humanity when we are not actually repenting and following God. Because the Bible doesn't portray humanity as like, well, we're... We're pretty good, actually. Like, people are pretty good. God's wrath is like, well, a little, like, footnote over there. Not really going to talk about that, because people are pretty good, though, right? People aren't that bad. That is not at all what the Bible portrays humanity like. Humanity is broken and marred and fallen away from the God who made us to be his image bearers. So his wrath 
is pointed at that evil, at that insidiousness, that desire to leave God. And until you realize that, you have no real good news. Until you realize that wrath and judgment is real, you have no good news. One theologian said, no gospel is needed if there is no judgment. No gospel is needed if there is no judgment. So for you, why do you want to be saved? Why do you want to enter God's kingdom? Is it because you want to follow Jesus and be a disciple of him? Or is it just because, well, I don't, I don't want to have any wrath or judgment on me, which that's good. But the whole point is, do you actually want to follow God or just escape the punishment? And so these are hard questions, guys. If you're like, oh, I don't like this. That's normal. That's natural. We would want to bristle and like, well, we'll, we'll me and Scott, we'll, we'll leapfrog over this and get right into Matthew 4. No, we want to address, we want to have these questions brought to us from the scriptures. Because how then do we know? How do we even know what we really want? How do we even know and discern our own hearts? You might be thinking to yourself, oh man, like, do I just want to escape wrath? Or am I really wanting to follow Jesus? This leads directly into our third question. How do you know? How do we know why we really want to be in the kingdom? How do we really know if we are in the kingdom? This is directly what John talks about in this passage. This is exactly what he addresses. How do we know if our repentance is genuine? How do we know what our salvation is truly based on? How do we know if we are like the crowds coming to the water or like the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the water? Friends, you will know based on the fruits of repentance in your life. Twice in this passage, John calls the crowd to bear the fruit of repentance. Look at verse 8. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then look at verse 10. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John is saying, bear fruit in line with what repentance looks like. True repentance is a desire coming from awareness of your lack. And this will lead to bearing fruit. Often we think repentance means, oh, I'm sorry. Just, just say you're sorry, right? You just repent and say you're sorry. But is that what God wants? Does God just want mere lip service from us? No, we, we know God doesn't just want a, an external I'm sorry. Because if you've ever been around kids or have kids, what happens all the time? Say you're sorry. That is not what God wants. Repentance is not a, oh, I'm just sorry. Repentance is a turning. Repentance is a saying, I'm not going here anymore. I'm turning. And the whole point is, it's not a one-time event. That reality of bearing fruit is a continuous movement in the direction of consistent, no, I'm going to turn. No, I'm going to turn. Repentance is not just a one-time repent of your sins and believe. It's a continuous life of repentance and continued belief in Jesus. And again, I even like alluded to um, 
kids or people who would just kind of the eye roll, okay, I'm sorry, whatever. I did that all the time growing up. My mom would make me apologize to my brother or sister. But often don't we do the same thing when we just, well, I'm just going to avoid the bad stuff. I'll just, I won't sin in that way, but I'm going to judge those people over there. I'm going to hate those people who disagree with me. I'm going to be angry at those people who didn't respond the way I want. You see that we're doing the same thing. We're just trying to clean up the externals. But meanwhile, our hearts are cold and far from God. True repentance, one writer says, calls us to authenticity. It calls us to honestly acknowledge, I am wrong. I have sinned. I have lack. I, too, need someone to help me because I'm stuck. And again, John is not just calling us to this one-time repentance. The text and the actual Greek structure of these verbs is talking about an ongoing life, bearing the fruit continuously of repentance. Life in the kingdom is a life of ongoing repentance, and this is how you know if your life and your faith is real. Verse 10 Every tree that is not regularly in an ongoing type of way bearing fruit, that is the tree that is cut down. What's interesting is the life of repentance continually is showing us what kind of salvation we have. This is a salvation not of works. This is a salvation not based on your family line, not based on privilege. The salvation that calls you to continuous repentance shows that you're only saved by grace. You're only saved because God is so merciful to again and again and again and a million more times continuously show you your sin and allow you to repent. Friends, that type of kingdom, that is a kingdom of grace. That type of kingdom that is consistently showing us how weak and needy we are, but how good and strong and faithful Jesus is. That is the kingdom that John is preparing the way for. And this is why, again, just to talk about, okay, so then what does a life of true repentance, the fruit of repentance, what does that actually look like then? What does it look like to be someone who's bearing the fruit of repentance? That is a consistent realization of, yes, I am broken. Yes, I am marred. Yes, I have sin within me. Sin that I have inside of me, sin that I commit outside of me. Sin that I think, sin that I do. I'm aware of that, but I am also aware that this kingdom is for this kingdom has come for me. I am that deeply loved. I am that broken. And whew, man, am I ever loved. Man, am I ever secure in this kingdom. John is inviting the crowds and us to see. He's calling us to the water to see that this type of kingdom is not about checking the boxes. It's not about doing all the right things. It is a kingdom that is showing us our hearts and calling us to realize that out of our hearts is where the kingdom life is going to come. Because what happens with the fruit of repentance 
is it's not a life of drudgery. When you hear a life of repentance, you're like, oh, man, I suck, I suck, I suck. No, that's not a life of repentance. A life of repentance leads to such confident humility of like, I am that broken. And man, I am more loved and secure than I even know. Think about that. That leads to such deep humility and such strong confidence that this kingdom has come for you. So live a life showing the fruit of repentance, a life of ongoing repentance. Husbands and wives consistently coming back and saying, babe, I'm sorry. Babe, that was all on me. To your friends, like, you know what? We had this conversation. I was super angry at you. I'm really sorry. This is an area that I think God has shown me. Think about parents and your kids repenting to your children, repenting and telling them, mommy or daddy was angry. Maybe I yelled. Maybe I got upset. I'm sorry. I need Jesus' kingdom to help me here. Let's pray together. Think about that, parents. You can, in humility and in confidence, repent to your children. What kind of a church would we be if that was the culture? of what we were like, such confident humility as we live out the fruits of repentance together. When we begin to live in this type of life, we realize that our sin and our lack are not a disqualification for the kingdom, but actually owning and acknowledging our sin is actually how we're positioned to be in the kingdom. It's because we realize that we aren't in the kingdom because we've cleaned up our act like the Pharisees tried to. But it's because we realize, like John was telling the crowds, that someone is coming who's going to take our sin onto himself. So as we go to close, I want us to consider verse 12. John says that One is coming who will stand on a threshing floor, which is a place where farmers would sort out the good crops from the bad crops. Jesus is coming, he says, like a farmer with an axe to cut down the trees that aren't worth anything, that aren't living in accord with repentance. And again, we want to hear this passage and have our souls be stirred at that because we realize that we are not exempt from that judgment and from that same punishment if we don't repent. And again, I want you to realize, even as we go to close, that this graphic language is on purpose. We're called to realize that our life of following Jesus is not just some spiritual reality that we think is true, but it's just true for me. It doesn't have to be true for other people. No, this graphic imagery is used because it's real. Because judgment is real. Because Jesus truly is coming to sift out the good from the bad. So let me ask you, are you someone who's kind of just screwing around with church and Jesus, kind of like a bad boyfriend or girlfriend that I don't really like him that much, but I'll just stick around with him for a while? Is that how you approach Jesus? Is that how you approach a life of following him and his people? Redemption Church, this is real. Judgment is real. 
The kingdom is real. This isn't just spiritual stuff that we talk about to make ourselves feel good or to figure out how we want our life to be. This is not just our little private spiritual reality that we have. No, this is news that impacts the whole world. And even, this is just kind of a complete aside, this is all happening, all this language of repentance is happening in the context of baptism, of a public demonstration that my life is with Jesus. So for you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and have not yet been baptized, please come grab me afterwards. Please come talk to Scott afterwards. We would want you to be baptized. Jesus would call you to be baptized as that outward demonstration of I am living and following Jesus. I want my life to be one marked by bearing that fruit of repentance. So, Redemption Church, we go to close realizing that we are called to examine our lives. So let me ask you, where is repentance needed? Where is repentance needed right now in your life? Again, write that down. Think about that. Pray about that. Where do we need to re-examine our priorities like money, entertainment, hidden sin, relational conflict? Where do you need to repent? And not just individually, Where do we corporately need to repent? What's interesting is John was calling the corporate nation of Israel to repent. So where do we corporately as a church need to repent? 2020 has been hard, but have we lost focus on mission? Have we lost focus on being a church whose hearts break for the poor, whose hearts break for the downtrodden, whose hearts burn for the mission of Jesus? Have we lost focus on that? True repentance repentance calls us to see that it is out there that the kingdom of God is moving. So let's close as we listen to the Spirit call us back to repentance. John talks about this refining fire that Jesus brings, that John is alluding to. And that's intended to burn away the rubbish in our lives, the areas where we are living fear, in cowardice, in hidden sin. And again, remember, repentance isn't drudgery. Because John tells us a Messiah is coming who he's not even worthy to carry his sandals. But yet, what would this Messiah do for John? This Messiah would come and say, I'm going to take off all of my clothes on your behalf. I'm going to come and not just carry your burden. I'm going to pour out every part of my being because I am here for you. That's the type of Messiah we have. That's the type of king who is coming for us. He is coming for us, meaning on our behalf, but he's coming for us because he wants you. He wants you. He wants you to see how good and strong his love for you is and to hear his invitation to come into this kingdom. So we're going to close by singing a song about leading us back to life in Jesus. So, Janet, you can come up and the band can come up. And as we go to, I'm just going to have us quiet our hearts for a minute before we sing. If you want, you can shut your eyes. We're going to pray. I just want to ask you, where 
is your true faith being exposed right now? Where over the last several weeks have you had moments of anger or moments of fear or moments of anxiety or moments of worry or depression? And what is that exposing? What is that revealing about where you are trying to find the kingdom life? Where is that revealing that you are looking for a different savior to save you? So let me pray. Jesus, we do thank you that your kingdom calls us into a beautiful life of repentance. A life of repentance that isn't drudgery and despair, but the beauty of knowing how broken and marred we are and how deeply loved we are by you. Jesus, help us to be people who even as we search our own hearts, we're doing it out of that place of confidence because you want to show us our sin so that we can trust in you, so that we can see your kingdom build its life there in those areas of our soul. So Jesus, we ask that you would help us to repent, not just once, but often, that you would show us the deep joy we have of being your people in the kingdom. Pray this all in Jesus' name.